If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you again. Sorry about last week, but because of technical difficulties, I couldn't share some Torah thoughts with you. The Parsha this week is Korach. A very, very troubling, difficult parsha. Difficult in the sense because we see a huge, huge attack on the leadership of Moshe. From whom? From his first cousin Korach. Korach attacks him and his brother, Moshe's brother Aaron, for being the high priest. And we'll analyze what in fact the intention of Korach was. What was his motive? Why would a man like Korach actually undertake this particular type of action, which was going to fail. And I'm sure in his heart of hearts, Korach knew it was going to fail. Yesterday we celebrated Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. Wednesday and Thursday was the first and second days of Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. And Tammuz also is one of these months that has to be analyzed carefully. The word Tammuz, our sages tell us, translated simply means heat. Because in the north, particularly in the Holy Land of Israel, and this is how we judge our seasons, even though we might live in the south, nonetheless, when we speak about the seasons of the year, we always consider the seasons based upon the seasons in the Holy Land of Israel. And the season now is the intensity of summer, the heat of summer. And we have to ask ourselves, what does the heat of summer have to do with the month of Tammuz, and how does it affect us? What is the lesson that we learn from Tammuz being the heat of summer. There's something else about Tammuz. In the book of Ezekiel, we come across, tragically, a story connected with an idol called Tammuz. It was an idol made out of clay. And during the summer months, it would dry in the heat of the month of Tammuz. And tragically, the Jewish people, in a moment of great weakness, would worship this idol. God became very angry with them. All these things take place in Tammuz, the month of heat. Something else about Tammuz. The tribe, the tribe of Israel that is connected with the month of Tammuz is Reuven. Reuven, of course, the firstborn of Jacob, the first of the tribes. Reuven is named after the power of sight. His mother Leah said, God saw my sorrow. God saw my pain and gave me a son. Reuben, therefore, symbolizes the idea of sight, and there, too, we have to understand what does sight have to do with the month of Tammuz? When we take a look at the month of Tammuz, there are moments in Tammuz which bring great sadness to the Jewish people. In a few weeks' time, we will commemorate the 17th day of Tammuz, Shiva Asr B'Tammuz, which ushers in the three weeks of mourning. It is the day that ushers in the beginning of the destruction of Jerusalem, ultimately the temple. It is a time that speaks to us about exile. It speaks to us about Churban. And therefore, at first glance, the month of Tammuz seems to talk to us about moments in history, times in Jewish past of great pain, of great suffering. What is this really all about? And why is it that the Parsha of Korach is almost always read during the month of Tammuz? Let's go back to the month of Tammuz, the concept of heat connected with the tribe of Reuven, 
the power of sight. Sight is one of the most important powers that we possess, the ability to see. Sight brings clarity, the ability to see something. Yes, we hear, we understand. Understanding is powerful. Understanding enables us to take a look at the detail of something. But sight, on the other hand, is all-inclusive. When we see something, there is a degree of certainty is there. As we know, the famous saying, seeing is believing. Seeing actually authenticates the presence of something. But no, we know, and even science will tell us, there are two different types of blindness, God forbid. The blindness of darkness, and darkness one can't see. There's another type of blindness, and then there's the blindness of bright light. In powerful light, a person can't see either. And there's a great discussion, a great debate, which type of blindness is worth, worse? The blindness of darkness or the blindness of light? And they conclude, the majority conclude, that the blindness of light is far worse than the blindness of darkness for a variety of reasons. But intense light, which is so powerful, that brings about the inability for us to see clearly, is something which is a strange phenomenon. On the one hand, there's light. On the one hand, there is powerful light. But at the same time, it's so intense that it brings about an inability for us to see things, not only clearly, but for us to see things at all. Tammuz is that type of month. It's a month of intense heat, intense light. And in order for us to see, there has to be some sort of filter. There has to be some sort of diminishing the light so that we can see. Not adding to the light. The light is powerful. The light is intense. The light is so strong that we cannot see. We have to reduce the light. And it's only in the reduction of light that we begin to see things and hopefully begin to see things clearly. The month of Tammuz, as mentioned before at the outset, the month of Tammuz is not an easy month. It's a difficult month. A month that speaks to us about destruction, about churm. It speaks to us about exile. It speaks to us about great moments of tragedy in Jewish life, in Jewish history. But those are the filters that enables us to see the truth of the intense light of the month of Tammuz. That there is something there beneath the surface, beneath the intense light that we cannot normally see that an actual fact is a source of great blessing, of great opportunity. It's the heat, the intense heat, something which on the one hand is terribly uncomfortable. It's difficult to live in intense heat. But when we are able to modify that intense heat, we begin to see that it is a source of incredible blessing. And this is the way we have to understand what the month of Tammuz is all about. The month of Tammuz, as it presents itself, is something which is difficult for us to live with and difficult for us to understand. But when we begin to apply certain filters, when we begin to modify the intensity of the heat, the intensity of the light, we begin to see great treasure, great purpose, great gifts, 
in the month of Tammuz. Instead of it being a month of tragedy and pain, it can be a month that we harness this incredible light and heat and use it for good and great purpose. This is the challenge of the month of Tammuz. The challenge of the month of Tammuz is not to simply run and hide from the intensity of light and heat, which would be a normal reaction. One would run to shade. One would write, run to a place of darkness. No. We have to somehow use the gifts that God has given us to take the intensity of this month and to modify it to such a degree that we are able to use it for great purpose that we are able to use this powerful and incredible energy that exists during this month for the purpose of good, for the purpose of blessing, for the purpose of construction. Rather than it being a time that we commemorate Harbon and destruction, it has to be a time and place where we are able to build and develop. This is what Tammuz is all about. Tammuz is a time of tremendous, tremendous challenge. The greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity. The greater the opportunity, the more strength we are given in order to take that opportunity and make it real. Yes, it does take great effort. It does take an inner strength. But as we know, we are never given a challenge that we cannot deal with. The mere fact that we are given great challenges, this in itself is an indication that we have the ability and the power to overcome those challenges, and not only overcome those challenges, but to turn those challenges around, to transform those challenges in tremendous vessels for good, opportunities of great blessing, more of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. Tammuz, a time of the year that on the one hand has intense light and intense heat, which can be extremely uncomfortable and blinding, but with proper modification, one begins to see that one can use that energy for the purpose of good. Why does Korach take place during this time? Korach, of course, you remember that story, the great rebellion against Moshe and Aaron. Korach was a first cousin to Moshe, and Korach was, well, jealous of the fact that Moshe was the leader, Korach was the high priest, he felt that he too should be included in a position of important leadership, which brings to mind, of course, the entire concept of leadership. Leadership is, on the one hand, the single most important thing that a community can have. On the other hand, leadership is sometimes so fault and so corrupted that it brings about disaster, destruction within community. There are different types of leadership. Leadership of popularity, Everybody likes so-and-so. They appoint him as a leader. Political leadership, based upon a truly democratic process, 
and that well, for whatever reason, this individual representing a particular party gets the majority of votes and he is elected as the leader of a particular area, a particular country. There is the leadership of a tyrant, an individual who's strong, who's powerful. He simply grabs leadership as a result of the fact that he has strong army, strong armed men. He overwhelms other, a dictator. There are all sorts of different types of leadership and the consequences of the different types of leadership. But all those types of leadership that I just mentioned have one thing in common, and that is that those are types of leadership that depend upon either popularity of people or the strength of an individual. But both are the result of the choices of human beings is a different type of leadership. And that is a leadership that is appointed by God himself. And this is something which is important for us to understand. We live in a world where people kind of reject that idea. God appointing a leader? Where does that come from? Those are old-fashioned, ancient ideas, aren't they? Perhaps once upon a time, people believed in that type of nonsense but today we live in well republics democratic societies etc etc the will of the people the choice of the people etc etc yes to a certain degree the will and the choice of the people will elect people leaders but on the other hand ingrained within our faith is the divine appointment of individuals that have been appointed by none other than God himself. Let's take the story of Korah, for instance. Who appointed Aaron as the high priest? Was it Moses? Was it Aaron himself? Was it a popular vote? No. God himself said, Aaron and his sons, they are the ones who will serve as priests, as Kohanim, in my Mishkan, in my tabernacle, and their children and children's children until the end of days, they too will be Kohanim. To be a Kohen, no matter how popular you are, you cannot become a Kohen. You have to be born to a father who is a Kohen within the halachic context of what defines proper halachic birth as a Kohen. And this is something which is important to understand. That unless we accept the idea that there is a huge combination between divine appointed leadership and human elected leadership, we will always have a situation of great chaos. We will always have a situation where there is ultimately corruption within leadership. You take the great revolutionaries of the world, the great Russian revolution, where the Tsar was seen by many as a tyrant, as one who abused his people. And he and his family were thrown out. What came in its, what came in its place? A system of greater corruption. Stalin murdered well over 20 million of his own people 
20 million of his own people. Was that a proper replacement? Absolutely not. And if we begin to examine almost every single revolution resulted in greater corruption, there has to be the presence of a divine appointed leader within every single situation. Yes, you can have elected people. You should have elected people. But there has to be those who represent the presence of godliness within the context of the Parsha, the Kohen, the priest, and ultimately the high priest. The high priest who represents the holiness of the Jewish people, the one who serves in the temple, the one who represents, in a sense, the presence of God and godliness. And this is what Korach tried to destroy. Korach, well, he himself wanted to be a leader. The language that he uses, the rhetoric that he uses, was false. You know, he speaks about equality. He speaks about everybody being equal and the same. Why do we need leadership at all? Those were false words. Those were words that he tried to somehow convince the populace to stand with him. But ultimately, he was motivated by the greed of leadership. He wanted leadership. But more than he wanted leadership, he also wanted to destroy the fact that there are those who have been appointed by God, none other than God himself, to be leaders. This is what Korah tried to do to bring about destruction of divine appointed leaders. How does the Parsha begin? The words are by Yikach Korach, Ben Yitzhar, Korach the son of Yitzhar, etc., etc., took. The commentaries ask, what did he take? Rashi points out he took himself to the side and he quotes the commentary of Uncleus. What does Uncleus say? What did he do? He created fragmentation. He brought about chaos. Instead of allowing for a sense of unity, he wanted to bring about fragmentation, breaking up a sense of unity. And he knew within a situation of chaos, the strongest man can take control. When there is unity, when there is clarity, and unity is only possible when there is the presence and blessing of godly blessing and presence, he would have no, no ability to take control. Because the people would sense that he's a charlatan, that all he wants is power for himself. But it paleg, what did he want to do? He wanted to create fragmentation. And this is what he does. Divide and rule. He creates a sense that there is no ultimate authority. Authority is either the will of the people or the individual who's strong enough, powerful enough to grab that authority. And this is why he challenges Moshe. He challenges Aaron. And he says... We're all holy, we're all the same, we're all etc., etc., etc. And this is why Korach comes during the month of Tammuz. As mentioned before, 
Tunnels, a time of intense heat and intense light. What was Korach saying? Korach was trying to bring intense light and heat in a negative sense into the community of Israel. Why intense heat? We're all equal. Great words. Things that sound incredibly fine and wonderful. But ultimately, blinding and destructive. Just like the powerful light or the intense heat is something which could blind one's sight. This is what he wanted to do. He used language and rhetoric that is destructive. Sounds good. Perhaps sounds incredibly popular. But when applied is destructive. It's fragmented. It brings about chaos. And he can take advantage of that chaos. He represents the worst of what the month of Tammuz represents. What did Moshe and Aaron represent? They represent unity. What is unity? When you take that light, when you take that heat, and you use it in a way that can be applied with productivity, with purpose, when you use it in a way that somehow everyone can benefit from it, this is what unity is all about. Unity is the process of bringing together different types of things. Yes, everything and everyone has a purpose. Everything and everyone has a place. Everything and everyone has a mission. But they all have to live together, which means everything has to be modified in such a way that it enables the presence of other to coexist. And this is what Korach tried to destroy. He tried to destroy the unity of the Jewish people. He tried to destroy the great true equality represented by Moshe and Aaron. The intense heat and light that is used in a positive, constructive way. And he simply wanted to release that intensity to create chaos fragmentation so that he could take power and he could control and he could become the leader and use it for his own ends. And yes, there are those commentaries who say that he was motivated perhaps by, by some righteous motivation. We won't talk about that now. But on a simple level, this is what Korach is all about. Korach is the one who uses wonderful language, wonderful ideas, great rhetoric, the great revolutionary. But what's the end result? What's the consequence of what he says and does? He speaks about great light and great heat. It's a light that blinds. It's a heat that destroys. It's fragmentation. It's destructive. And this is why he attacks Moshe and Aaron and uses the language that revolutionaries use. But ultimately what he means is that he wants to grab power for himself. The negativity of the month of Tammuz. More of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about leadership. We're talking about the great 
revolution brought about by Korach and how it failed because ultimately people see through that type of greed and dishonesty. There's something else taking place during the month of Tammuz and it takes place tomorrow, the third of Tammuz. Tomorrow, Gimel Tammuz, the third of Tammuz, we commemorate the 28th Yortzeit of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of righteous memory. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, an incredible leader. A leader of, well, all one has to do is look around the world and see the inspiration that he created. What happened as a result of his leadership. When he took over the mantle of the leadership of the Chabad Lubavitch movement in the 1950-51, the world, the post-Holocaust, post-war world, was in a state of deep, deep confusion. On the one hand, there was a tremendous drive to secular materialism. On the other hand, there was a move away from faith, from tradition. There was tremendous, tremendous sense of, well, on the one hand, those who were observant felt that there had to be a philosophy of isolationism, of moving away from an involvement in the world. And there was tremendous concern that the type of Torah Yiddishkeit that we so cherish would be lost to the vast majority of Jews. The Rebbe, single-handedly looked at the world and said, no, this cannot be. And he began a program of tremendous change, step by step, slowly. And throughout his years of leadership, inspired an army of thousands and thousands of men and women, Hishluchim, who brought incredible change to the world. That ever was a leader of incredible, incredible, Incredible devotion, as mentioned before, a leader who brought about unity, who brought about a situation where everyone counted, that ever always spoke about, that each and every single individual had a purpose, had a mission, and each and every single individual had to work at finding out what that mission is, and each and every single individual had to be given the opportunity of expressing it that mission, men, women, children, that ever taught, that ever inspired, that ever was a leader cum laude. And as time goes on, you hear more and more stories of those that that ever inspired, leaders within their own right, but leaders who brought to their own lives this incredible message that that ever taught. And you think to yourself, how is it that one human being could bring about such incredible change throughout the entire world. And yes, he was imitated because people began to see what he was doing and they recognized that those were the ways to bring about change in the world, change for the positive. And what he started became a tremendous movement for good. And this is something that we will be commemorating tomorrow, the 3rd of Tammuz, his 28th Yortzeit. Yes, there are those, when it comes to a Yortzeit, that will feel a bit sad. Among Hasidim, it's a time of celebration. Celebration because we recognize that here is a soul that did incredible, 
incredible things for all of us, the hundreds of thousands that whose lives were touched. There is hardly a place in the world where there is a Jewish community of any size that doesn't have the presence of a Chabad Shliach and Shlucha, emissaries who bring the word of Torah and Yiddishkeit to their lives in every corner of the world. One hears these incredible stories coming out of Ukraine, where Shluchim originally had to leave for a while, but have returned into war-torn areas because they believe that they have a mission to fulfill to the communities that they have to serve. A community that they've built up over the last 30, 40 years. They simply can't abandon them. Where does this inspiration come from? It comes from the Rebbe. That ever saw each and every single individual as a person who has a major contribution to make to God's world. That ever spent hours, hours giving out dollars to everyone who was there, and each one with a blessing, each one with a message, go out and do something positive in the world. I could speak for hours about that, Ebbe, as you can well imagine. I'm blessed with the fact that Ebbe appointed me as the Hedshliach of South Africa. We came here in 1972, 50 years ago. I could speak for hours of who that Ebbe is and only touch the tip of the iceberg. That Ebbe, a phenomenal person in terms of wisdom, in terms of learning, in terms of, of everything. But basically, his greatest attribute was leadership, authentic leadership, a leadership that resulted in tremendous, tremendous unity, which was so inclusive because everybody was included. And this is why I want you to spend a moment or two tomorrow and think about what you can do to somehow carry on the incredible work of the Rebbe of bringing light and heat in the positive sense of the term, in the positive sense of the month of Tammuz, into the world, into your own life, the lives of your family members, of people around you in the community, to bring about change because it can be done. So when you're in shul tomorrow, and go to shul, and you listen to the parasha, and you might be a little bit, well, upset at the antics of Korach and his henchmen, Realize that it failed, because all negative things ultimately fail. The great revolution fell apart, a miracle from God. The actual earth opened up and swallowed them. A divine fire came and overwhelmed them. Because ultimately, the positive word of Hashem will prevail. Authentic leadership will prevail. The heat and light of Tammuz can be used in a positive way. The message of the Rebbe, that we need more goodness and kindness in the world is the relevant message of the moment. And this is what we have to do. So when you're in shul tomorrow and tonight, think about those things. Apply those things. Make them your own. Make them real. Good Shabbos.